G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Who are people with a table mentality? I'll tell you what they are, who they are. They exhibit the heart of God. They continue to move out. They never settle in. They live to see a full table. They're disheartened, even frustrated if they see any empty chairs around the table. And they're so frustrated that they have to go to the ends of the streets, the ends of the alleyways, the end of the work cubicle, the end of the earth to compel those who are far from God to come near. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. One truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. You make me want to dance and sing with every single breath I breathe. I will bring this offering. You are my wonder. You bring the wonder. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. Hello, my name is Bill. Thank you for joining me on Today with Jeff Vines. And we have another great message for you today from Pastor Jeff. He's talking about table communities. Community invites people into relationship, maybe around the dinner table, just as God wants us to have real connection with Him. Let's hear from Pastor Jeff now. Father, we thank you so much that uh, you pursued us, that you go hard after us, that you left your home in glory to come down and to experience humanity for the sake of bringing those who were far from God near to God. Father, when we think about the multitude of things that for which we've been forgiven, we're, we're just amazed. And we're amazed that a God like you, the creator and sustainer of everything that is, would chase hard after us for relationship, that you'd be willing to sacrifice your own son so that you would not lose us. We are grateful and humbled in Christ's name. Amen. Now, I want you to do something this weekend. You got to do this quickly. I want to give you two themes here. I want to give you two pictures to look at. And the first is a huge tower. And when you look at a huge tower, you're thinking of something that is tall and intimidating, somewhat exclusive, right? Towers are tall, intimidating, somewhat exclusive. Then on the other picture, I want you to look at a table. A table is it's smaller, lower to the ground, and it's, it's inclusive and inviting. So you got a tower, tall, exclusive, uh, intimidating. You got a table, smaller, can be wide, but it's inclusive. It's inviting. Now, here's the reality of what I'm about to show you in the scripture. Every person in the room has either a table or a tower mentality. It's how you live. Now, if you've got the wrong mentality, it's very difficult for you to admit it. That's part of the mentality that you have. But Jesus talks again and again and again that individuals and corporate 
organizations, nobody's immune. Lay people, uh, pastors, teachers, everyone, no one's immune to this. You either live your life with a table mentality or a tower mentality. What I want to do in the next few minutes is help you decide which one you are. And then in deciding that you would have the courage, if you're in the wrong one, and there is a right and wrong one, that you'd go to the right one. Okay? So let's deal first of all, what is the table mentality? Two passages of scripture this weekend. Luke chapter 14, where Jesus illustrates a major component of the kingdom of God is the call to go out and invite people. And then we'll get to the other passage later, tower people in Genesis 11. So here we go. Luke 14. Jesus says this. Let me, let me kind of summarize it for you, and then I'll get to the passage on the screen. Basically, God sends his servant out to tell people the banquet is ready. This is the coolest banquet you could ever attend. It's got everything your heart desires. So he sends his servant, go out and invite people in. Tell them it's the great banquet, the great dinner is ready. Go out, compel them to come in. Let's get this thing started. And so they start making excuses. And they're really ridiculous excuses. One guy says, you know, I can't come right now because I just bought a field and I got to go and see it. Think about that. You don't buy a field before you see it. You see it, then you buy it. Second guy says, you know what? Uh, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I got to go test them. It's like when you say, I just bought a car. I got to go test drive it. (laughs) You test drive it before you buy it. The third one I get, I don't fully understand it, but the guy says, I just got married, so I can't come. That's another sermon, probably. (laughs) Whatever happened, it happened. I don't even want to touch that. But the servant comes in, and the owner, who is God, is angry. And then God looks to the servant and says, okay, if that's the way they're going to have it, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the servant says to him, well, what, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master, who represents God, remember, told the servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. So here's what we know about God already. He's the owner, and he's not going to be happy until every seat around the table is filled. And he's so frustrated with empty chairs that he tells them, go out and compel whoever, wherever, highways, byways, the streets, the alleys, you know, the difficult districts. Go out and compel them. Have you ever begged anybody for anything? All right. You know that there's a, there's a sense of uh, urgency, isn't there? It amazes me that this language is used by Christ himself. Go out, beg them, compel them. This is what they're looking for and they won't see it. Do whatever you have to do. The problem is the tendency is this, especially of tower people that we'll get to in a moment. The tendency is to settle down. Not to go out, to, uh, to just drop anchor and say, this is good, this is enough right here. I, this is a control safe environment, I like this. But all through the Old Testament, God kept saying, go, be fruitful and multiply. Easiest command God ever gave, be fruitful and multiply. Easiest one to obey, isn't it? Come on, I can do that. You want me to do that? Oh, sure, I can do that. <laughs> Honey, but God said, be fruitful and multiply. I'm just obeying God. <laughs> go out, expand, don't settle down, don't stop, Go. God was so intent on this that when the Babylonians came in and took the Israelites into captivity, there was a false prophet by the name of Hananiah, and he tells the people of God, hey, let's stay out here on the Kabar Canal and not move into those heathen territories of the city of Babylon. Don't move into the city, he said. We're believers and they're not. 
Babylon is the source of pagan culture, so have nothing to do with Babylon or its people. And a matter of fact, Hananiah, the false prophet, says, stay out, pray against the city, pray that God will bring destruction. What does a prayer meeting like that look like? You know, God, we pray that you would drop a bomb on Babylon. God, by your grace and mercy, send a plague and destroy these people. Think about that. That's what Hananiah is saying. Jeremiah gets wind of it. He says, whoa, wait a second. This is not God. The true prophet of God, who's still living back in Jerusalem, or Judah rather, he writes them a letter, and the letter's recorded. He says, this is the revealed word of God for people who feel like they're living in exile. Okay, time out. Do you feel like you're living in exile? Stay with me. We'll build on this. Do you ever feel like... Okay, it's a week gone by. You've gone to the movies. You've watched television. You've listened to the news, true news and fake news. (laughs) And... Do you ever have a time in your life where you say, you know what? I've had enough of this. I'm going to go build me a shed somewhere in Montana and get away from these crazy people. They don't stand for my values. It's a rat race. They're chasing things I don't chase. They're pursuing things I don't pursue. Man, I'm out of here. I'm going to work this out. I'm going to go to Montana, live in a shed somewhere, maybe a horse and a couple of dogs. That's it. And you know what God would say to you? Don't do it. Not the call on your life. That's not what you're supposed to do. Jeremiah says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. To all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so they too will have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because as it prospers, you too will prosper. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Wow. This would have been unbelievably counterintuitive to the first people of God, just as it is to the second people of God, the church. God says to them, don't withdraw. Don't go to Montana and live in a shed. Permeate the city with salt and light. Go right in there. Now, don't assimilate. Don't become exactly like them. There's got to be a distinction in your life, but don't separate. Permeate the city. And whatever you do, don't wish destruction on it. Don't have a prayer meeting and say, God, people in LA are so heathen, get them. (laughs) You know, cause a tidal wave to just wipe out the city, especially Hollywood, those evil people. Don't do that. God says, "That's that's not my heart. He says, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've called you or carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you will prosper. You forget that if God sends a tidal wave, you get wiped out too. After 9-11, I could not believe some of the Christian posters that I saw of where people were almost glad that people died. Really? Really? My first question would be, Well, if this is the judgment of God, why are you still breathing? I mean, if the judgment of God comes, we're all in trouble, right? And where's the sadness, man, of people hurting, people dying, people suffering? That's the heart of God. The overarching message is this. Now, stay with me. God possesses a table mentality. Now, the question is, what's a table mentality? Let me help you with it. My mother was a southern woman. Man, she could lay out a southern spread like you would not believe. The feature item was always pinto beans. If you ever want to do something kind for your pastor, a pot of pinto beans will do just fine. 
and she would put this thing called half, uh, a fat back right in the middle of it. Not this kind of fat back, <laughs> this fat back. And it was, it's just a block of fat, you know, it's all it is. I mean, your arteries just pucker up. <laughs> and she'd put this big piece of fat in the pinto beans and then there was cornbread fried in a pan the way it ought to be, the way God intended. <laughs> and then you'd have fried taters, which was a perfectly good vegetable that God had made destroyed in Greece. <laughs> and then green beans. The thing I remember though, my mom would spread this table out because we had the same meal probably four or five times a week because we weren't very wealthy. Pinto beans were cheap. But I remember dad coming in home after work and he would sit down and if there was an empty seat around the table, he would immediately start to ask us, where are your friends? My dad grew up poor. We lived around a lot of poor people and he couldn't understand why we wouldn't invite our friends to dinner. Now that my father had made it and we could afford good things, he was upset with us. He literally asked us, where are your friends? He'd start naming them, my friends first, because my parents loved me the most. <laughs> he would say, Jeff, where's Jojo? Jojo was my very best friend. Jojo Duggar, just down the street, played wiffle ball together. Where's Jojo? Where's Tittle? Yes, that's a real name. I'm sorry. Where's Tittle? Where's Billy Joe Brown? Billy Joe Brown, real name. Where's, I grew up in Tennessee. Where's Billy Joe? <laughs> My father would sit at the table and I saw him the happiest when the table was full. My mother was the same way. She was a sanguine on steroids. She loved to be around people. They gave her energy. And when all of our little friends came in and she had to take out the slats in the middle of the table, remember, make it larger, and then bring in the chairs from everywhere, the lawn chairs and the picnic table bench, so that we'd, if we ever had to move outside, she was elated. That, that was my parents. I tested them on this a few times. I said, okay, how far are you really willing to go to bring people to the table? So one day I invited Mo Riddle. That's a real name. Mo Riddle was the local clown, really. Mo Riddle was 45 years old. He had Down syndrome. Everybody in the neighborhood loved him. But you never knew what was going to happen when you invited him into your house. So I brought him in one day and just watched my mom and dad. They smiled. They were so happy. They gave Mo the head seat on the other side of the table. I never seen so much cutlery flying through the air for about an hour and a half. <laughs> Mo Riddle. One time I brought my friend Tittle. Tittle came from a very poor family. And every time I think about Tittle, I think of Pigpen. Because he never liked to take a bath. Tittle just was, he had this aversion to water and soap. And so it would be months. So I said, I'm going to bring Tittle in because there would be a distinct smell. And let's see what my parents did. They brought him right in. Mom cleaned him up first and then put him right around the table. <laughs> These are my parents. Now, I got to tell you, sometimes I didn't want strangers around the table because I had to accommodate them. I had to be nice. I had to be on my best behavior. Uh, I really didn't want to share the apple pie and ice cream because we didn't have a lot. So there was a chance the more guests we had, by the time the box got to me, it'd be empty. <laughs> Mom didn't seem to care. <laughs> Go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you've ordered has been done, but there's still room. The master said, then go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Who are people with a table mentality? I'll tell you what they are, who they are. They exhibit the heart of God. They continue to move out. They never settle in. They, they live to see a full table. They're disheartened, even frustrated if they see any empty chairs around the table. And they're so frustrated that they have to go to the ends of the streets, the ends of the alleyways, the end of the work cubicle, the end of the earth to compel those who are far from God to come near. 
And it's not like table people are not smart. They're smart. They know it's going to be difficult. It's going to require energy. It's going to require sacrifice. They know that the ice cream box might come to them and it's empty, but they don't care. It's worth it. And at times it's, if you're a table person, incredibly inconvenient. Because when you have more people come in, there's going to be more dishes to do. It's going to take you longer to clean up. There's going to be more tension in the air as the new guest might say something that really offends you. He may say something like, Ronald Reagan was a loser. Or the Dodgers, I hope they lose every game. Or 80s music really sucks. (laughs) They may say things like that. And even use those words. But table people, they don't care. Because when the table is brimming all around with new people, it just brings them alive because they have the heart of God. Now that's table people. Let's talk about tower people. Genesis 11. Here we go. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise we'll be scattered over the face of the earth. So let's talk about tower people. First thing about tower people, they're settlers. Look at verse one and two. The whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. Now there's nothing wrong with settling unless God tells you not to. And if God says, don't settle, be fruitful and multiply, go out, increase, influence, permeate, expand, then that's what you're supposed to do. Now here's the question. If God tells you to do that, what is it about settling that attracts people? What is it about tower people that you like so much? People who just build a tower, protective wall. Well, it's comfortable. You can dictate who gets in and who who gets out. And you can gather people who are like you into the tower. Build walls to keep everybody who's not outside. Here's the problem though. Most of the time when you build a tower and you want to settle, it's because you want more control and you don't want surprises. But the reality is the opposite happens. Because do you know how much effort it takes to maintain a tower? When my my wife and I first moved, uh, we were looking for a house. Two years looking for houses. Two years. And it was a time when demand was high. So every time Robin would find a house that she liked, guess what happened? Somebody would move in and pay cash and buy it right from under us. She was getting ticked and my wife never gets ticked. Well, other other than at me. But she was not happy. We found a place... Up on the 210, he got us out of L.A. County and high taxes. And I saw a look in her eyes, and I know it's a look I've seen in many young women. It's the look of settling. You know, the girl who dates and dates and dates and finally gives up on ever finding anybody good, so she just settles for a guy. Now, tell me something. When she settles for this guy, tell me the hard work isn't going to start after she gets married. See, by settling, you think you're in control now, but you're not. It controls you. Well, we got this house because Robin had had enough. And I'm telling you, this house is making a couple of serious efforts every year to kill me. (laughs) It's got more problems than you could ever imagine. The roof, I had to replace it. It needs a fence around the backyard. It's falling down. The wiring is old. The plumbing is old. I'm paying a dear price. What I thought I could control is controlling me. This is the thing about tower people that they don't get. They get so protective of their little philosophies and their little cliquish groups and their little things that they like so much that they've built a tower too 
that they're just miserable people because they live in constant fear of change. And it takes a lot of energy to protect sacred cows, like what food we serve, who gets a seat at the table, what kind of dinner music will we play, how warm or cold is the room, where is my personal comfy chair. If I build a tower, I can just settle down and I think I'm in control, but you never are. You're miserable. Here's the second thing about tower people. Tower people are settlers. Tower people are exclusive. Look at verse three. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They use brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Now again, what's wrong with building with bricks? Nothing unless God tells you to build with stone. Stones are God-made. Bricks are man-made. Think about bricks for a moment. Here's a brick wall. What do you notice about that brick wall? That's boring. All those bricks look the same. I mean, every brick is like the other brick with little variation. They're square. They're almost religious looking. <laughs> Some of you will get that. Legalistic and dogmatic. It's, it's lifeless. Now look at a stone wall. Lumps and bumps, knobbly and untidy, unpredictable, varied, sharp, smooth, abrasive, irritating. It, it's like a box of chocolates. You never really know what you're going to get. In short... It's exhilarating, exhilarating. One of my favorite preachers is Mike Bro. Have you ever heard of him? <laughs> when Mike Bro was the pastor at Southland Christian Church in Lexington, Kentucky, he did something one weekend. He dressed up as an old woman. I mean, put a dress on, put layers and layers of coat like a bag lady, like a homeless person, and a straw hat, and he pulled it down over his eyes and dark sunglasses, and he waited till the service started, and he was scheduled to preach that weekend. So he waited till the music started, and he started to walk in, and he took a seat right in the middle as he made his way in. By the way, he said he made sure that he just was rank with odor. <laughs> as he walked in, people the entire way just looked at him like, why, why are you here? What are you doing here? And then when he walked across the middle aisle, the people who you seated beside got up and moved. And then when it was time for the sermon, there was an awkward silence because nobody knew where Mike was. And after he thought time had been well served, he stood up and he walked out the aisle and he started walking up the stage. As he's walking, he's removing layers of clothing so that by the time he gets to the podium, everybody realizes it's Mike Bro. Can you imagine being the people who moved to the other chairs? <laughs> he didn't say a word. Well, he did. He simply started to read from James 2. And it said this, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? The point of the passage is not about rich and poor. The point of the passage is favoritism of any kind, discrimination against anybody who's not like you. But this is what tower people do. This is what tower people do. They build their towers and then they build these little edifices, not only at church, but at work, in their communities. They build a tower and they see their neighbors as us and them. It's the kind of person that doesn't even know the names of his neighbors, never even greeted them, met them, never invited them over sees them as far from God and hopes they stay far from God and far from him. That's tower people. He goes to work and he doesn't hang out with the heathens. 
My older brother went through a time in his life when he was incredibly religious, okay, dogmatic. And I noticed every time I would come home from furlough from Africa and I would have lunch with him, he always would eat by himself. I'd go to his workplace, hey, let's have lunch. I haven't seen you for a couple of years. And this happened time after time. And finally one day I said, man, why? why? You've been here how 20 years now, the same job, and you eat by yourself. What's going on? And he looked at me and he said, well, they're Baptist. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. Jeremiah says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. To all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because as it prospers, you too will prosper. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive. Wow. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. Today. Today. Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.